0: Well, church, before we uh, get started this morning, can we just, can we pause for a few moments and pray for our brothers and sisters, pray for the folks down in Mayfield, Kentucky. Redemption City Church is part of a connection of churches, and some of those churches reached out and asked for our prayer. The devastation and destruction that is happening, that has happened right now in Mayfield and the surrounding areas in Kentucky is devastating, beloved. There were people who went to bed a couple of nights ago and woke up the next day in eternity. Life is a vapor. The moment. It's fleeting. So let's pray. Lord, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would bring order out of chaos, that you would be, oh Lord, in a special way. Folks down in Kentucky and the surrounding areas in Mayfield, Lord, who have lost everything, who are even now looking for loved ones. Lord, would you use the church to bring light, to use the church to bring hope of Jesus Christ? Would you use the church even now even now, O Lord, to do a work that will turn people's eyes to heaven and glorify our Father in heaven for the good works we have done. Pray these things in the only name we can pray it. That is the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Be with them, Lord. Amen and amen. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Continuing in our series, then God said in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Heard a lot of things this past week, beloved. A lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions. Maybe you've heard this past week that God can't form your mess into something beautiful. Maybe you've heard this past week, beloved, that, that man, God is being stingy with you, <laughs> holding back something good from you. Now, hear the word of God. These are the records of heaven and earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground. "...and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." A river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from that land is pure. And onyx is also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows throughout the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which runs east of Assyria, and the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. And he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at the place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one, at last, it's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, this one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. And they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. Let's pray together and ask the Lord for his help. Lord, your word is is powerful. It is able to call men and women from the grave. It is able to encourage. It is able to build up. So, Lord, we we need you to do it again in our midst. Speak, O Lord, for your people are listening. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Three three points for today. Typical preacher, right? Three points. But these points are more so like praises. Three praises from Genesis chapter 2. God is our potter. God is our planter, and God is our provider. God is our potter. He's our planter, and he's our provider. Man, I'm ready to shout just on the points, Aaron. My goodness, God is good. First point, God is our potter. We're going to come back to verses 4, 5, and 6 of chapter 2, but let's hang out in verse 7 for a little bit. Verse 7 reads in Genesis chapter 2, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. That word there in verse 7, the word formed, That's a word, y'all, typically in the Old Testament scripture, it's used for a potter who's at work with his clay. A potter who is forming and fashioning. You remember from from last week that everything else in creation, God spoke into existence. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let there be skies, birds. But here in Genesis chapter 2, when it comes to man, it, it sort of zooms in and, and it doesn't say that, that God spoke him into existence. The, the imagery here in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 is that God got down on his knees and he picked up the dust of the earth and he formed and fashioned man from it. The imagery here, beloved, is not God speaking man into existence from afar. No. The image here is of intimacy, of God kneeling, picking up some of the dirt from the ground and forming the first man out of it. So, In a matter of speaking, the the writer of Scripture is taking us from the creation account, and he's kind of taking us to the potter's house. Not T.D. Jakes. The original potter's house. (laughs) He's taking us to the potter's house where there is a a delicacy and an intimacy when, when creating man. It speaks, brothers and sisters, to the special purpose of mankind. Everything else can be spoken into existence, but not mankind. God uses his hands for mankind. And if that doesn't say enough, man, Genesis chapter 2 says that the Lord breathes the breath of life into man's nostrils. The Lord took an inanimate object and made life from it. The Lord literally took some some ashes from the ground and he made something beautiful. Oh, doesn't he give beauty for ashes all the time? Now tell me again what it is you think God can't do? (laughs) Tell me again what you think God is incapable of. Oh, you think God can't breathe life into your neighbor? He created man from the dust. Tell me again, you don't think God can breathe life into your marriage? He created something from nothing. Tell me again what you think God can't do. And I'll show you a God who creates beauty from ashes, who creates living things from things that have no life. Brothers and sisters, the Genesis chapter 2 account tells us God is used to taking our dirt and bringing life out of it. He's used to it. As a matter of fact, I, he's perfect at it. All we bring to table is dust and dirt. And God says, let me me form and fashion something out of that. Why? Well, Genesis chapter 2 says he's our our potter. He's intimate. He's hands-on with us. Then the writer goes on in Genesis chapter 2. He's not only our potter, but God is our planter. God takes the smock off and he puts on his gardening clothes. You see it in Genesis chapter 2, God planted a garden in the east. There he placed man whom he had formed like a potter. We have to get the imagery here, brothers and sisters, in Genesis chapter 2. This is this powerful word picture that God is, is bringing things into existence, that God is getting down in the dirt for mankind. God is condescending. He's coming down, as it were, to our level, getting his hands dirty for, man, for for you and I. You know, back in this day when when, when Genesis was written, potters and gardeners, it's not something that kings would do. Kings wouldn't get off of their throne to go make clay and and vessels, no. No. Kings for sure wouldn't get off of their throne and go play in the dirt. But here in Genesis chapter 2, the writer is recording for us the king of all kings, the one who speaks things into existence as if it is easy. He gets down in the dirt. That's the imagery, brothers and sisters. Genesis chapter 2 is this glorious account of God moving dirt around to create something good for us. Creates life, and he creates sustenance. The king of kings, oh, he ain't scared to get his hands dirty for mankind. That's the portrait that is being painted here in Genesis chapter 2. God is used to taking dirt and bringing life out of it. It's used to it. Now tell me again what you think God can't do. Tell me again what you think God is incapable of. Oh, you Think your sin is too grave that God can't heal you? And he brings life out of nothingness. Surely, brothers and sisters, he can bring life out of your sin. He's a potter, he's a planter, but he takes it a step further, Christian. He is our provider. Now, for the rest of the time, I I got through my first two points rather quickly, and you're all like, man, Stephen about to finish so quickly. Nope. We, we, We about to spend most of our time on point three that God is our provider because, brothers and sisters, I think we oftentimes forget too quickly how much God provides for you and us. Let me ask you a question. Even if you're unfamiliar with the Genesis account, If you've ever heard the Genesis account retold or ever been in Sunday school or church, tell me, brothers and sisters, what is the one big command that God gives in Genesis chapter 2? That one command that Adam and Eve should have taken note of. What is that one big command? Speak back to me. What is that one thing that if they fail to listen to anything else, they listen to this? What's that one command? Don't eat a tree. See now, y'all all all fell for it. Because I just set all y'all up. Because here in Genesis chapter 2, we have all of this stuff that God is doing for mankind, yet it is human nature to focus on the one thing that God said, Don't do. All of this provision. And yet our minds and our hearts, like Adam and Eve in the garden, were so quickly taken to the one thing that God said, "Don't do." Y'all, if I can speak in these terms, this is the craziness of sin. Sin doesn't make any sense. God has given all of this. He has provided so abundantly in Genesis chapter 2. And yet, and yet, Adam and Eve were still drawn to that one thing. That one thing that God said, don't do. What did God provide? Well, let's talk about it. He provided in Genesis chapter 2 a buffet. Look, if you will, at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Notice this command. The Lord commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden. Did you catch that command? Does our minds sort of go to that one other command that's coming? The, the, the English here isn't strong enough that the text is like reading, you are free to freely eat from any tree in the garden. God is laying out a buffet for Adam and Eve. Everything. Look at all these trees, Adam and Eve. They are all yours for food. And no mention here, praise God, of moderation. Know how y'all get down? You can have Christmas cookies, just eat them in moderation. That's not what Genesis 2 says. It says, I'm free to eat. He provides a buffet for Adam and Eve. All of this. Look across the garden, Adam and Eve. Look, everything you see, it is yours. Take, freely eat. He provides a job for them. Notice what it says in verse 15. Hey, I put you in the garden. You have to work it and keep it. Now, It's interesting language here because God does something very unique with Adam. He not only just provides him a job, but the the, the text of Scripture uses very priestly language. It's not just a job, but God is like saying, Adam, you're you're the priest of the garden. This is sacred space. This word that he tells Adam to work it and keep it is found over in Numbers chapter 3, verse 8. Then God said, take over, as he's talking about what the priestly duties are. And that word, take care of, is the word watch over in Genesis chapter 2. Of all the furnishings and everything I give you, then later on in Genesis chapter 3, or Numbers chapter 3, verse 8, it says by attending, that is the word work over in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord is saying, hey, Adam, it's not just a job, brother. You're a priest of the garden. This is is a a royal responsibility. Provides them a job, calls them a priest, and not only that, God gives Adam and Eve a co-worker, namely God himself. Jump back up to Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Notice what it says there. No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land. And no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God, two points, had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Did you catch that? Growth in the garden comes from rain and from man working the ground. Growth comes by God making it rain, and growth comes by man working the ground. There are two elements for growth, God's part and man's part. Now, y'all can preach a whole sermon on just verse 5. Some of us are are complaining about a lack of growth, and it's not because of a lack of rain. It's because we ain't working the ground like God told us to. Not tilling the soil. We're not weeding it. We're not pulling things out that are not supposed to be there. No, God is doing his part. He's Way back in Genesis, God is our, he's our co-worker. Provides that, a buffet, a job, co-worker, and then, man, God, in a miraculous fashion, he provides a helper for Adam. Notice, y'all, in Genesis chapter 2, it was God's estimation of Adam being alone that brought about the only thing in all creation that wasn't good there was one thing that god looked over creation and said it's not good he looked at man and said it's not good for him to be alone but that was god's estimation i love this quote that it says that that man is not consulted for his thoughts on the matter god doesn't ask adam do you feel lonely Brothers, you know how we get down. We be like, how you doing, Adam? I'm good. I'm cool. Hurting, hurting. But yes, and I'm cool. No, this is, this is God's estimation of the totality of mankind. It is not good for man to be alone. And he doesn't ask us our opinion on the matter. Why? Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. Why? Because he's the potter. He formed us. He fashioned us. He, he knows what we need. And so God looked at the situation and says, no, that's, that's not a good thing for man to be alone. So he creates, he builds a, a helper. Love this word helper. We're going to plan ourselves on this word helper for the next few minutes. Genesis chapter 2 says that God formed a helper corresponding to him. Let me give you a, a definition of this word helper, this, this azar that is mentioned here in Genesis chapter 2. A definition is help from a stronger one. That's amazing. And I feel like we haven't done that word justice throughout the history of translation throughout Scripture in, he- in mankind. Man's sitting here all by himself, and the Lord says it's not good for him to be alone. I'm going a, I'm to a form a helper for him. And we begin to think as brothers, oh, yeah, she's my helper. She's my secretary. No. No, no, no. This, this word azer is, is help from a stronger one because primarily Old Testament Scripture, this word is used on behalf of God. God is our helper. You don't believe me? Deuteronomy 33, 29, how happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is a shield that protects you. That word protect is the same word used here as helper. The sword you boast in, your enemies will cringe before you, and you will tread on their backs. Although no, scripture is not done. Psalm 3320, we wait for the Lord. He is our help. The helper word, Genesis chapter 2. He is our azer and our shield. Scripture ain't done. Psalm one twenty twenty-four. our help. Same word for Eve in Genesis chapter 2 is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Oh, my goodness. The Lord provided a help from a source that was stronger. And if a brother has been married any longer than 30 seconds, you know this empirically. You know it. You needed it. The longer I'm married, I'll be married 12 years in a couple of months. The longer I am married, the more I realize the weight of the word in Genesis chapter 2. I needed help from a stronger source. And the Lord, in his kindness and all of he, he he formed Eve from the side of Adam. This word that he uses here in Genesis chapter 2 of creating Eve and forming Eve, the the word is that of a builder, a skilled builder. It implies beauty and stability and durability. It's interesting. I didn't get a chance to ask Julian this question, but I'm going to ask him now in public hearing. This is the only place in Scripture where this word is translated "rib." Only time our translators translated rib, everywhere else is translated as side. Maybe the translators were hungry when they were translating this rib here. Some of y'all get that when y'all get back home tonight. It's the only place, every other word, time this is used, it's used of the, the side of the tabernacle, it's used of the side of the ark. Like the Lord is forming and fashioning Eve from the side of Adam. And again, you have to read the scripture carefully. The Lord doesn't pull Eve from the side of Adam. The raw material that God uses to form Eve is the side of Adam. Just like the raw material the Lord used to form Adam is the dust of the earth. He takes raw material and he creates something so gloriously beautiful that mankind can't help to sit back and praise him. How do you do it, Lord? How do you create so well? How do you form so well? This was Adam's proclamation in verse 23. Man, he's, he saw Eve. And he says in verse 23, this one, at last, Adam broke out in the Edda James song. At last, my love has come along, my lonely days. That's how y'all see, what broke out in Adam Stove, Adam's song. Adam wrote this song. This is God's provision for mankind. He provided something glorious. He's not done providing. He provides a new family, according to verse 24. Do you notice the commentary for this reason? A man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to leave it alone. There's a reason why it says a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. Traditional ceremonies, right, you know, it's it's the father who gives the bride away. But man, we need a ceremony where the mothers give the son away. I'm going to leave it alone. That's all I'm going to say about that. And I'm going to walk away from it. Provides a new family in verse 24. Not only that, but he provides an intimacy, a a knowingness in relationship. Verse 25, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. This this nakedness is corresponding to two things. It's corresponding to the horizontal, and it's corresponding to the vertical. They were unashamed in front of one another, and they were unashamed before God. And there's a vulnerability, an openness in relationship that the Lord provided. So let's go back over our records. The Lord provided life. He provided food, provided a job, sacred space. He provided a home, a co-worker, a helper, new family, lions and tigers as pets. Perfect vulnerability, and I can go on and on. And the Lord only said one thing they were not supposed to do. Eat from that one tree. So, brothers and sisters, the big command here in Genesis chapter 2 is not the prohibition of God. The big command in Genesis chapter 2 is all the provisions from God. All the glorious ways in which God is providing for mankind. This is why I love in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 2, the location of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The location in Genesis chapter 2 states that it was in the middle of the garden. I love what one commentator says about the location of the tree. Man had to work himself through all the other trees of freedom in order to get to the one tree of prohibition. The goal, brothers, in my spiritual imagination is that man would have been satisfied with God's provision by the time he got to God's prohibition. He would have been so filled up with the goodness of God that the prohibition would have been unappetizing to him. Oh, saints, would that be our prayer this morning, that, Lord, we will be so filled up with your goodness and kindness and mercy and grace that the one thing you tell us not to do will not even be appetizing to us. Why? Because we're so filled up with everything you have done. Don't you see it here, saints? Don't you see it here in Genesis chapter 2? You who are in this room right now thinking that God has been somehow stingy with you. That God is greedy. He's holding back that space, that voice. That is the voice of the adversary. He's coming into the text in Genesis chapter 3. You who are right now sitting in the forest of God's goodness, yet your mind's attention is on the one thing that he said no to you about. Saying can't see the forest for the trees. Man, that's God's goodness. And yet our heart and our minds go to the the prohibition. When the Lord is laying out a buffet before us. He's giving and giving and giving. Let me end like this. Historians have been trying for years to find the exact location of the Garden of Eden. They've been trying and trying for years, and the reason why they seem not to be able to find it is because of those first two rivers that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, the Pishon and the Gihon rivers. Scholars believe that after the flood, it like washed away a lot of the riverbeds and so they can't locate exactly the Garden of Eden. But here's my point in saying all this, that if you're looking for the Garden of Eden, you're missing the point. You're looking for Eden instead of looking for the God of Eden. What made Eden, Eden, brothers and sisters, is that God is able to bring living waters out of a desert. What made Eden, Eden, is that God is able to make life out of dirt. What made Eden, Eden, is that God is able to truly supply all of our needs. What made Eden, Eden, is that mankind is completely naked before God and he accepts us as we are. What made Eden Eden is that even in the midst of all this goodness, all the trees, the job, the landscape, the made Eden Eden is that God is better than all of that. That there is nothing better than God. So if you are here this morning and you are searching for the things of God rather than God himself, even your garden will be a desert. But dear brother and dear sister, if you are here this morning and you are searching for the God of Eden who has made himself available to you, then even your desert can be a garden. The God of Eden, the God of Eden, the God of Eden who is even now, making dead things alive, the God of Eden, who is even now meeting us where we are. We can search the world, brothers and sisters, and we'll find that there is no one better than him.